Welcome to Useful Idiots. I am Katie Halper. Apparently, I resemble something else, which I'm going to find out shortly. And I'm Matt Taibbi, and I'm laughing because our, our producer, Matt Wilson, uh, Katie was wondering whether her lighting was appropriate, and he told her that she looked like uh, one of the elves from Lord of the Rings movies. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> She's like backlit, like slightly, a little bit, you know, a glow. Yeah, that's um, a compliment. Yeah, kind of. Yes, yes. The lighting part is a compliment. Like, what we have to worry about is their features and stuff. Yeah, right? your your face is a little CGI ish right now. Oh, uh, okay. I would Thank say you. no, but you look good. You Thanks. look good. Next time I get my makeup done for some appearance or something, which I haven't done in years, but uh, I'll say, can you give me the the Lord of the Rings elf look? Right, right. Well, they do that at. I would say that MSNBC is heaviest on the uh, on the makeup. It's it's yeah. very cakey. <laughs> so, oh, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Is that Kate Blanchett? Yeah. Having established that uh that Katie looks like Kate Blanchett and uh I and I don't, obviously. There's, there's nothing about me that looks like that. But is this you two? It's Matt and Katie. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh what's his name? Hugh uh He's in the first rake episode. We should know it. Um, oh, he's a cannibal. Yeah. Oh God, I can't we remember gotta his have name. He's a great actor. Rake on. Uh, Wilson, will you track down for us the character that the rake lawyer is based on, the rake character, the real person? We should do that, right, Matt? Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. If there's a real person, is there a real person? Yeah. yeah. I think it may even be named that, but yeah. I mean, I know like eight lawyers who are like that. Or like but, that, yeah. Yeah. But um, oh god, it's such a funny show. Rake, we're talking about the Australian one, not the American one. Yeah, the American one's a little, a little bit subpar. Remember, he goes in and orders a coffee. At, one of my favorites is like when he goes in to order a coffee to a cafe and it's empty, mm -hmm. and they're like, "What's your name?" He's like, "A name." Like, why does that matter? Well, it's right. me, mate. Like, I'm the only one in here, mate. And he's like, "I just need your name for the coffee." And he's like. Trevor Devin Devil and he I can't remember. It's a he's like it's Dutch, mate. It's Dutch. He's like, you have a shorter version? It's like it's Dutch. It doesn't abbreviate. And then he and then he calls his name out, like after he makes the coffee. And then Clifford Green, the character, is like, Oh, me. <laughs> Cleaver Green. Cleaver, sorry, Cleaver Green, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's one of the recurring themes of the show is that he 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 gets into situations. He recognizes that it's a bad idea to step over the line and right. get into a confrontation with somebody, but he Please. just can't stop himself no. and he has to do it anyway. And next thing you know, he's in trouble. Right. Uh, like he's slugged somebody on the street or he's right. doing he's doing blow in a, a you know, at a boxing match. Right. Um, and, and and betting all of his money on the wrong person or something like that. He's kind yeah. of like how like he shares something in common. It would be an interesting Venn diagram. Him, Dr. House and uh, Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Like those three characters all play yes. with lines in different ways. Interestingly, yeah. I, the, uh, I respond to all those all three of those shows. Yeah, uh, they're great. Uh, yeah, I think I think the especially Cleaver's character has a lot in common with um, like my old decision making. <laughs> so, yeah, your so, decision making. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Doctor so House, my my, my pre fatherhood decision making. Pre fatherhood, yeah. But what House and Larry David never question whether to cross the line, 
right? Cleaver, you see kind of like. Uh, Cleaver knows that every, that, that every, his decision-making process is deeply flawed, but he just right. keeps, he doesn't, he, he can't help himself. That's the right. whole point. He's, he's, right. he's not even at peace with it. He just keeps doing right. it. Right. Yeah. He yeah. has the awareness of it. That kind of, I feel like Dr. House doesn't care at all. Yeah. Like House is committed to it. Uh, yeah, you're right. I think every he, once a, he, in, every now and then it has some fatal consequences. Right. So anyway, having gotten that out of the way, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, folks would and katie will not use that word she'll use indigenous uh, people's sad day. indigenous people's day sad indigenous people's day because because she's she's just intellectually I went to and can't, can't can't get past it can't find a way to enjoy a day that everybody yeah. else does um, what do you call me intellectually what crippled i thought you said <laughs> verbal oh no 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 you're oh that too but yeah woke button woke double woke button thanksgiving oh for the yeah thanksgiving and crippled yeah all right four food groups more food groups. All right, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it as we banter. Yeah, right. this yeah. is a great. I like the band. People like the banter, Matt. Matt, they do? Matt doubts our banter. What is it? I'm, yeah, I'm a, I'm a banter Power. doubter. Yeah, yeah, you're a banter doubter. Democrats suck. I, I guess I was going to go over the thing about the Democrats losing ground in the polls. Um, Oddly yeah. enough, I'm kind of writing about this because I had to do the story about Loudoun County, and there's there was a big story earlier this week. Democrats have have lost significantly a lot of ground in polls, especially on the education issue all around the country, which has put them at the lowest point they've been since 1981, according to Forbes, I think it is. But uh, this is a this is kind of a thorny issue because it it, it dives into a whole bunch of stuff that. We've talked about kind of that already at nauseum. We can probably get into with our guest our, yeah, also Epstein, because yeah. our Mr. Guest. Well, we'll talk about it in, in yeah. a bit. Like, like, like there, there's there's a debate about even why there's a debate about this. So that right. that makes it tough to talk about. Um, what we're talking about when we talk about. Yeah. So in lieu of that, let's just let's just let's just go to the to the uh, to the self-aggrandizing um, pat on our back. The useful yeah. idiots factor that Jen Psaki announced this week. Wilson well, she announced two things. She officially announced one thing, which we're going to go over. But as we'll see, she also announced, without saying it, implicitly announced that she watches useful idiots, specifically our Monday morning segment. Exactly. So if you recall on our Monday segment, if you watched it, if you didn't, you're a gigantic loser who yeah. sucks. What's a better way of putting that? If it isn't, we invite you to make sure that you watch our Monday morning shows on YouTube, where we go over the Sunday morning sh shows. No, no, I was I was going for an insult there. Oh, just if, you just want to be more eloquent in your insult. Yeah, I saw. See, you are kind of like I feel like I'm sometimes I'm the Cheryl to your Larry David. Like you're trying to mitigate my horribleness. Yeah. yeah, I think that's sort of accurate. Sort of accurate, right? But she's very boring. I'm like, I'm, I'm like, if Cheryl was a little bit more Davidian, right? And I'm also my, my like disastrous behavior isn't unwitting; it's intentional. Intentional, right? Which makes you more like Doctor Villainous, yeah. Doctor Villainous House, yeah, 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 probably. So moving on, Democrats suck this week. So Jen Psaki and uh, Wilson, if we can see the story in the um in the Hill. For those of you who didn't watch Useful Idiots Monday Morning Edition, we talked about the fact that there are now rumors going around uh, Washington that if Joe Biden decides not to run for re-election in 2024, 
that Pete Buttigieg and Kamala Harris will be uh, maybe positioning to run against one another. Therefore, there is this growing rivalry between them. And, and the, these rumors have reached the point where Buttigieg got asked about them by, I think it was Tuck Chad, right? Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was Tuck Chad, right? <laughs> so, of course, because Jen Psaki watches Useful Idiots, especially Monday morning edition, when I yeah. think she's actually she's actually usually doing a gaggle at that exact time. Uh, or to watch it and take notes. Right. So here's the story. Biden intends to run for re-election in 2024, Saki says. President Biden intends to run for re-election in 2024, White House Press Secretary Jen Saki confirmed Monday following a flurry of reports on discussions among Democrats about whether he would follow through on a bid for a second term. That's his intention. Okay. All right. Already, that's not good. That's his intention, Saki told reporters, uh, confirming reports that Biden has been telling advisors and staff he plans to run again. I mean, how many times can they, how many qualifiers can they put in there? Um, The Washington, Washington Post reported over the weekend that Biden and his closest advisors have been reassuring allies in recent days that he plans to seek a second term. That report followed a political piece last week about positioning among other Democrats who may be interested in running uh, for president should Biden decline to run for re-election. Now, again, that references a story that was in Politico, but was written by Rich Lowry of the National Review. I seriously doubt that the would be going out of its way to reassure people that a rumor is not true if it was strictly a rumor that was started by a, a Republican in right. from the National Review. This feels that this has all the earmarks of something that has uh, been circulating a bit and people have decided to elevate it to, because it's it's being talked about. Uh, right. I hate this kind of story because it's, it's quite prevalent in Washington. They do this a lot. Uh, but now it's turned into a thing. Why why is he denying this? Why does Jen Psaki feel the need to 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 do this? And if you're gonna, if you do feel the need to do it, be unequivocal about it. Don't say he intends to run. Don't say well, he plans to run. Say he is running. He right. will run. Right. Matt, that you cl- sound like you work for. You sound like you're writing a campaign speech for Biden. I'm sorry, like this is no. This I is, know, but it's the way you're saying it. He, he, he doesn't plan to run. He will run. Right. I mean, come on. This is PR 101. Yeah, if I know. You, if you want, if you want to keep the story alive, you don't like. But what does that make you think? The fact that they are saying it that way. First of all, it makes me think that there's there's real conversations that they about the possibility of him, him not running. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I just I, I don't know what I don't know what's going on. I I, I think I think it's Maybe. it's maladroit PR, first of right. all. Sometimes when these stories get out there, it's a trial balloon. In mm. other words, it's how does it work typically? Okay, like an aide to to person X who works in the White House uh, calls up somebody at the New York Times or the Washington Post and says you know, why don't you call up so-and-so and ask um, them if they're thinking about doing an exploratory committee? I, you know, I can't confirm this. I'm not going to be your source on this, but right. so-and-so has been talking to donors about setting up an exploratory committee for 2024. I mean, it's early for that. That stories, Those stories are coming next year, uh, but that's the way it works, right? So, the, so they put this out there, then they want to see what the reaction is when the story's out. 
because they're interested in seeing which way the, the wind blows, right? Are people excited about that? Do they get op-eds from people they don't expect saying, that's a good idea. We'd like to see that person run. Like that's right. that's how that, that works. So when sometimes when this thing, like the thing with the Kamala and Buttigieg thing, somebody had to work to put that out there. Like it, it doesn't accidentally show up on Meet the Press. I think, you know, my vote. What's your vote? Both Kamala and Pete. They snuck it in there, yeah. You think that they, they're putting this out there? Yeah, without knowing that the other one was doing it. Yeah, that, it could be that. Do, do you think he's going to run? Biden? Um, No. No, because he's going to be dead or because he's not going to run? He's going to be probably not dead. I just think he won't be. I mean, but maybe he'd be the perfect president that way. The perfect puppet. You know what? In a way, yeah, you're right. It would be the what what would be the difference? Right. I mean, he's a potted plant, basically. <laughs> right yeah like, i mean he, he, he didn't he didn't campaign Kansas he was talking to right he did not campaign yeah he did not campaign so he in 2024 he won't have to campaign again he will just be the placeholder for the party that will probably do pretty well that would do better than an actual talking person probably right what if what you think kamala will have to like push him like drag like drag him like a, a wheelbarrow or something or like a on a sled <laughs> <laughs> yeah how would biden get around let's say he couldn't move how would he get around yeah i mean i think it would be really funny if they did it like a like a three stooges episode where they they tied him up and put him on like a piece of plywood and <laughs> kind of dragged him everywhere you know yeah. couldn't you imagine yeah. her doing it like begrudgingly having to do it well, what I'm imagining her doing now is like is increasing his chances of death at every turn. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, of course. You know, like just sort of accidentally knocking over the the the, the poisonous substance near his cornflakes or whatever it is. Right. Right. Backing up a little bit too close to the to the ladder in his library as he goes up to get a copy of that book that he signed once upon a time. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You don't think that's happening? I think that's happening. Yeah, what do people with Mun what not Mun uh Munchausen by proxy, right? That's the one right. where they where they poison the people that they take right. Care but, of? They, but they're trying to get attention. They're not trying to kill the person. You're right. So it's actually a fine line for them. I actually I never realized the kind of like the work ethic that went into that Munchausen by proxy. Yeah, no, it takes effort. Stick to it. You can't go overboard. Well, not just yeah. that, but you have to find it requires a lot of knowledge. Knowledge. knowledge yeah yeah because yeah. you go too far that attention stops you get a lot of attention if the person dies but right well actually that's true yeah the, 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 there is, there is a brand of munchausen person who who goes too far but they they have to have a like a lot of kids or something like that so that they can go through it many right. times oh my god it's so awful i mean I, it's like I, awful I, beyond belief it's, it's awful beyond belief maybe if it's an older person that makes me feel better than a kid I'm not, I want to be clear. I'm, and there's no, unlike my necrophilia positions in the past, by which Your I stand. necrophilia positions? Yeah. <laughs> my, my posture, necrophilia posture. There's nothing redeem. I mean, I, necrophilia, it's not redeemable. 
it just to me it's it's it just levels of awfulness you're it's and, levels and, of, yeah but you know what i think if you're an atheist, i know i know, I know yeah. what you're okay. thinking yeah. but and your victim's an atheist and you're and the victim is a hermit atheist then it's okay so you're saying but, that if you have munchausen by proxy that you'd rather that they did that they made victims of an old person who's closer to the end of yes. his or her life than a child yes because that child's worth of life is of course worth more well, there's just beginning. Also, I feel like maybe They're the parent cuter. and grand, yeah, cuter, probably. But also, I think you know, more sinning has been done by an older person. They're okay. less innocent. Well, let's dive into your to your positions on this. More sinning? Wait. Oh, because the older person has already done wrong things. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So okay. So just to combine the two things, you have Munchausen by proxy you have accidentally killed a person that you were just trying to injure yeah right at that point is it okay to opportunistically oh, have sex with the corpse no because well oh this is really terrible i mean that brings it up to a level of posthumous incest because isn't, isn't okay you're saying if it's not a relative sure if it's no, not a relative, i don't think so no you can't because could be like just an like uncle. you can't you can't murder uncle. That's still incest. It's incest, but it's you know it's not like you're. It's not as intense. Kid. Incest. Yeah. Uh, or, but you know what? No, I'm sorry. I have to put my foot down because Where? I would be a I would be a hypocrite if I didn't put my foot down here. Because just like you can't, I do not condone killing someone in order to, you know, for necrophiliac purposes. That includes Munchausen. And I can't, I can't. I well, Munchausen is more like felony murder, murder. Yeah. You're right. doing something that's criminal, but it's an accidental yeah. death. You're still responsible, right. but. Yeah. But I mean, it's also. You didn't mean it. You didn't mean it. You just meant to poison them and incapacitate them. So. Right. But you, uh, but now, now, okay, the person's dead. So yeah. it's happened. Like you can't take it back. I can't do that. I can't because person. it's, it's sending a bad message. <laughs> Okay. as opposed to to the net na look it's one thing if there's a natural death mm -hmm. who am i to judge except for i am to judge if the person is again we can't do it for the and i i should have said this earlier on in my necrophilia i need to have a um what's it called like a manifesto but you really can't do it if the person has any relatives all right so that's that's democrats like what do we have for republicans suck for Republicans suck, we have something that a uh, good friend of the show, uh, Kevin McCarthy, uh, he broke a record. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has broken the record for the longest speech on the floor of the House of Representatives after speaking for more than eight hours. Jeez. He started speaking on the floor uh, at 8.38 p.m. Thursday and uh, broke the record at 4.46 Friday. At 5.11 a.m., eight hours, 33 minutes, he looked to the, took to the floor. After he took the floor, he stopped talking. Get, do you know who um, broke that, whose record he broke? Nancy Pelosi. Oh, oh. Oh, Nancy, God, I'm looking at the headline. Jesus. Well, you know why? Because uh, the reason that happened is because uh, there's a House procedure known as the Magic Minute which allows the majority and minority leaders to speak for as long as they wish at the end of a debate on the floor. So let's watch the eight hours. No, let's watch a, 
the Newsweek has a little condensed version of, of what he what he said. I talk about what made me a Republican. I was in the sixth grade. I turn on the TV. I watch Jimmy Carter have a sweater on and tell me to turn the heater down, that the best days were behind us. That as an American, I had to accept less. This is, he's like a guy that at a party that raised. stands too close. I said, well, let me try to answer your yes, question. Totally. An analogy of swimming. Do, do, Picture do, do, do America you know like at a swim meet after World War II against every other uh, country. No, I can't think. I mean, I'm we sure, jump but I can't into the water. Person. You can. Not only do we win, there, there was somebody I went to we college who was sort of famous for just ride. being like right next so to your face. So in the next year, you'd, you'd back up. We think, and you'd you know, end, that's a little unfair. The other countries a wall? against the wall, a wall. Yeah. yeah, got destroyed a little more than America. You're celebrating it when inflation is at a 31 percent height. Gas prices. Look at the people behind him. A border that in a few months breaks every How many of those people you think are farting the last right three now? years combined? At least one. I have a friend. <laughs> oh, yeah, look, there's, he's adjusting right his mask. COVID, like was on Codell with other senators. And he was sitting and having a communication. Maybe you've experienced this as well. Uh, with a military funny. general in the Chinese Communist Army. You know what that general said to him? America, you're weak. You're Probably weak, in America. In Chinese, I would guess. You're weak right. because you believe in God and you take fentanyl. It's kind of a good summary of America. I mean, yeah. <laughs> can I be speaker? I can finish my speech up there. And then after Oof. that, by the way, he uh, he said, uh, personally, I didn't think it could go this long. He said the 56-year-old. <laughs> he <Yeah>. said... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, are you going to make the joke? I mean, no, it's impl it's already made, right? It's made, right? Yeah. No. Okay. He's a he's a weird guy, huh? Look, he's doing the the the, the Frank Capra thing, you know, the Mr. Smith oh, goes to Washington. Yeah, yeah. Like it was, but that was so so. It's like a schlock inspirational technique that was really good in that movie. Uh, right. When you're when you're standing up for a boys' club in the Midwest or whatever it was that that. That he did, Jimmy Stewart yeah. was doing. Um, pretty sure it's a little less moving when McCarthy's doing it for what is he upset about now exactly? Uh, build back better. Oh, the infrastructure bill. Okay. He his voice is normal. really annoying. Yeah, his voice is really annoying. His hand gestures are really annoying. His voice I can't is really, imagine it's like him nail, being nails a on a blackboard. Mm -hmm. yeah. You can't imagine him being a kid. Like he shouldn't have been a kid when Jimmy Carter was president. He should have been like a full grown man. If he was a kid when Jimmy Carter was president, he's like my age. Is that He's 54. Oh, my gosh. Wait a second. So he was a little older than me. He said he was in sixth grade with Jimmy Carter. He got really upset about Jimmy Carter wearing a sweater, too. The president shouldn't wear sweaters. I don't know. Presidents I'm usually just... wear shitty sweaters. Or they wear a cardigan. Wait, when do they wear sweaters? When's the last at, time? At, at Camp David. Right. At Camp David. Yeah. Actually, Biden wears uh, cardigans, right? Over... Trump never wore a cardigan, though. Nixon wore cardigans. Yeah, Trump Nixon never liked, wore one. Nixon, Nixon right. liked the, the the cardigan and highball look. I wonder what he looked like as a kid, Kevin McCarthy. I swear I, he came out of the womb looking that way. With the the white congressman's hair. Yeah. Who? What? What, what profession has the best hair? It's a spunt. No, that's not a spunt. You're right. It has too many defined hairs, right? It's too airy. A spunt is more helmety. Right. Congealed. Yeah, 
It's one piece of hair, right? Yeah. Who has the most classic congressman hair? See, Newt Gingrich's hair is, is actually too thick. Yeah. But the cut is also atypical. Tip O'Neill had con congressman yeah. hair, right? Bright yes. red face, alcoholic face. Oh, you know he had to I mean? be a congressman face too. Yeah. Yeah. Congress congressman face is, is like buoy red. Right. And then the hair is like Santa Claus white. Right. It's, it's Who good else hair. Who has that? Taster? No, who's the other guy? Um, Let, the other do, Republican. Let's, let's do a quick survey. Hang on a second. All right. McCarthy, by the way, is the first Republican in his immediate family as his parents were members of the Democratic Party. His maternal grandfather was an Italian immigrant and his paternal grandfather was Irish. Duh. From his last name. Mm -hmm. Which makes him a, if you're Irish and Italian, you would be a pizza, potato pizza. Potato pizza? Well, you're a pizza bagel. One of my best friends is a pizza bagel. One of my best friends from childhood to today. So if you're a pizza bagel when you're Jewish and Ital Italian and Jewish, then you are a potato pizza when you're That's interesting. Irish and Italian. I feel I'm I, allowed to say that because they're. they're I not remember going to a, uh, a a comedian at the the Comedy Cellar in New York when I was a kid, and there was a comedian who said, "I'm Irish and Italian, which means that I like to fight and I can." Oh, I get it. So the implication being, Irish people like to fight but can't. Exactly. Got it. Anyway, no. Kevin McCarthy's an asshole. Yeah. All right. So moving on to isn't that weird? As always, it's from the the Fleet Street Wilson. If we can see the UK mirror story, 80s singer Tiffany swears at fans during awkward. I think we're alone now gig. So let's just go to the videotape. What happened? What happened? This is my hit. Oh, okay. So she's saying, okay. So I'm basically, right. the, the, it goes silent when she's saying, fuck you. So. Oh, this could almost be, isn't that terrible? Let's, okay. let's, let, let's just read the story. Uh, 80s teen idol Tiffany was filmed swearing at fans during an awkward performance of I think of her hit song, I Think We're Alone Now. Tiffany, full name Tiffany Darwish, was heard singing the song roughly and also seemed to skip a few lyrics throughout. However, her fans tried to support her by singing with her. The 50-year-old was performing in Melbourne, Florida when she got annoyed at people in the audience. She shouted, fuck you, to a few random people in the crowd. The audience reacted by cheering even more. This is my hit, she said, according to reports. I've been singing it right. Uh, a rep for Tiffany told, Tiffany told TMZ that the singer lost her voice and got frustrated with her performance. Can we just play Wilson for, for younger people like you, for instance? I don't know. Have you ever heard this song? I don't know if I know it. 
At least I don't okay, know that well, her rendition. Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, no, but to be fair, Taibi, he may know it without. It's so it's almost unrecognizable there. So uh, I think we're alone now is her cover of Tommy Hames and the Shondell song. Her version spent two weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot List, and we're gonna and we're gonna um, play just a teeny bit of it so people know what it actually sounds like. What? Hmm. Never. Keep playing. We just have to watch her dance. Oh, All right. Oh, wow. I mean, cool. in an All alternate right. universe, you know about Rick Rolling, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, it, it, it could have been this video instead of the Rick Astley song, right? Like, right. It's, it could have been, yeah. This is so classically 80s goofy yeah. song. So she reminds singing. me of when, of when we watched Up With People. Right. Yes. Yes. It's very, very happy, up, you know, peppy song. Yeah. The version that she was singing in Melbourne, Florida, it, it did sound a little bit like cats fucking. It was, it was, yeah, it was not a, you know, it was, it was not was a happy a experience. She was off. And then that's one thing. But then she cursed at her. Aunt. It's one thing to sound like shit, but she does. I mean, actually, maybe what if we think of it as like a Janis Joplin style? Then she's, then it's fine. Well, Okay, all those rock stars from the 70s and 80s, and especially the punk people who were, didn't even bother to learn the songs half the time, but like it was really common for some of those folks to be so drunk that they couldn't remember right. the lines. Like that was, you right. know, but that Tiffany's was like a, not punk. She's pop. She's pop, yeah. So it doesn't work. But I think but, if she reinvents herself as Janis Joplin, I'm not even referring to substance abuse, which obviously. Well, you know this better than me. I'm going to say substance is we're in the mix in that ver in the modern day version and her live version. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Doesn't I don't know which one you're. Which I'm going to guess just booze. I mean, oh, okay, you know just booze. Yeah, just your run in the mill booze, right? Just so, yeah, getting up. Yeah, like that's the classic. I can't remember the lyrics to the song. I've sung five thousand times. Right, right, know, which is sad. Fifty thousand times. Which is sad because it's your claim to fame. What I don't like, so I'm willing to forgive the the drinking, the bad voice, the forgiving, the forgetting the lyrics. Because it's it's also kitsch. It's like Leslie Nielsen reinventing himself, you know, as like a as a as an ironic version of of the actor that he was. Like right. to get up and not look like a, a an '80s teen idol and and yeah, suck. It's kind of it's kind of awesome in a way. Like there's there's yeah. a there's a camp 
aspect right. to that. But but what we don't need is the abusive treatment of the audience, which is just being supportive. But at the same time, there's clearly a pathological codependency going on. Yes, the audience dug it and cheered her on. Yeah, I think it's it's a net plus overall. She kind of goes off the rails. Maybe it's not even isn't that weird? Isn't that for Matt? Maybe it's like an isn't that awesome? It's kind of isn't that awesome? Yeah, I like that her rep. I like her rep's response. Yeah, yeah, she was frustrated with her performance. Um, so she had to curse at the audience. Yeah, when she finally woke up, uh, yeah. she <laughs> she yeah, said right. she said that she was frustrated with her performance, yeah. and that's why uh, when apprised of what she said, um, yeah. uh, slumped she, in a corner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh, yeah. awakened with sm- smelling salts. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Tiffany, whose real name is whatever. I th- I, think, I think it's good. All right. So isn't that uh, terrible? Uh, This is a both a isn't that terrible, but it's also, you know, we're coming up to Thanksgiving or when you watch when by the time you've seen this, Thanksgiving will have passed. But uh, it's an important time because you're probably going to be eating leftovers anyway. This is a cautionary tale and we got a terrible video, but it's also uh, there's a a silver lining, which is that a doctor is going to give you some advice about how to not have painful things come out of your penis. So, oh, God. uh, Again. Yeah. Again. All right, yeah. go ahead. Yep. Ragged crystal urinated out of man's penis leaves internet wincing in pain. Uh, and this is from The Mirror. Or is it Daily Mail or The Mirror? Daily Star. Daily Star. Wow. Okay. I, I, all right. So let's just watch this. T- and we know this because there was a TikTok video of it. So let's just play this. And it's uh, just so people can see. Uh, well, well, let's play. First play the video. Then I'll describe what it is. <laughs> All right. My poor boyfriend just peed this out. Poor urethra. I never knew kidney stones could be so evil. Look at that sharp little razor tip. Jesus Christ. Okay. Now let's hear what the doctor has to say. 10% of people will get kidney stones at some point in their lives. Lucky you. 10%. Make these three changes to your diet so you're not in that 10%. Strangely enough, low calcium can actually cause kidney stones. You need to get enough calcium in your diet so it can bind to oxalate in the stomach and intestines before it moves to the kidneys. Eating foods with calcium is a good way for oxalates to leave the body and not form stones. Don't go overboard with salt. Excessive salt in the diet can keep calcium being absorbed leading to kidney stones. And don't go crazy with animal protein. Animal proteins contain purines. Eating too much can cause uric acid to build up in your urine, increasing the risk of stones. Matt, do you do any of those things? You probably do the. I do all of those things. What I want to see the ear, the ear cyst explodes. Oh yeah, let's watch the ear cyst explode. Should we? Yes. Okay. Warning: the following footage contains graphic content. Viewers may find distressing. So, for people just watching, not listening, (laughs) it's a woman with a a cyst in her ear. She's squeezing it. Let's see. It's gonna come. Let's see when it. What happens? Is that a cyst? Yeah. Or is it? What is it, it saying? It's a, it's a ah! zest. Ew. Ew. Oh, so she God. She out pus. You know, there is a woman named Dr. Pimple Popper. Have you heard about this woman? Uh, no, I'm no. That sounds horrible, though. Well, she's like a viral sensation. She has a, a show. Oh, here's on... it is. Next up, Dr. Pimple Popper bursts. Let's 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 custard. Oh, God. Ew. We should have a trigger warning on this. But, you know, all right, let's see. Let's see the 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 custard chest cyst. Oh wow! Oh, and I'm gonna have to watch this so many more times when I edit this. That's great. All right, so we see a cyst on someone's chest. 
I think she's about to squeeze it. She's got a scissor and a um, tweezer. Now, what she before doing this, she does numb them up. So you're just grossed out by that. Is that correct? You don't find I mean, any part of it satisfying? Oh. <laughs> oh, man. I have a theory about why people find these things satisfying. It's well, it just reminds me of a Boston cream donut. Oh, well, that must make you feel conflicted because you don't want to eat that, right? For all I know, you're disgusted by Boston cream donuts, but I don't think that's the case. I'm guessing you, like no, every like, other normal person, enjoy yeah, them. Yeah, I love They're them. Amazing. Yeah. No, what's your theory? That it's like an evolutionary thing. Like we're programmed to like groom. Right. Yes. And so there's something that people something like. Something that's in satisfying. That. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a, there's a fine line between disgusting, disgusting and, and awesome. Satisfying. But let's keep plumbing that line. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, all right. So we have a great guest we're going to talk to today. Yeah. yeah. So Adolph Reed, who is the, the author of many books, including a new book that's coming out. We're going to talk to him about that. He's also the editor of Nonsite, which is a great peer reviewed uh, website, online journal. He's the author of the forthcoming book, Jim Crow and its Afterlives. And he is uh, launching a podcast called Class Matters. So let's talk to Adolph Reed, repeat offender, repeat guest of the show. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. What's going to happen in the country? Like I've been saying for a while, like we are not that far away from losing, uh, you know, even the shards of nominal, I mean, democratic institutions in the country. So, what what would you say to the first the the first first thing to go will be if I mean, what, what's the scenario that you fear the most? Well, uh, one of them was uh, you know, out and out coup against Biden, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's less likely to happen at the moment. Um, I think somewhere between uh, loss of, of of one or both houses of Congress, but uh, I mean next year, uh, more propagation of you know, this kind of in, insane politics, and it's not just the U.S. Right. I mean, we can see like internationally now how the right has been able to um, uh, uh, blend you know, the sort of upscale, superannuated hippie or yuppie but anti-vax politics with the survivalism. And those people have been hanging out together, well, as you know, for a while anyway. But uh, with the back to the you know, back to nature hippies. Uh, I've have 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 been to me anyway in increasingly difficult to distinguish from right wing survivalists, and now you know COVID hysteria, uh, you know, is doing the same as kicked it all up into a higher gear. I, mean, I saw my son this morning, like I a couple months ago, I think when uh, you know whenever it was that Arkansas sort of leapt to the top of both the coaches and the writers' polls for the Delta variant. 
right? Mm-hmm. CNN sent sent Senator Ernest Young of the reporter to Arkansas. She was interviewing people, and you know, that, you know, there was an array. But the one that most most struck me was a guy looked like he's like early thirties or something. Maybe you know, didn't seem like a wacko. Seemed like an ordinary guy. And uh, he tells the reporter, you know, that they aren't getting a vaccine, right? Because, you know, they don't get vaccinated in his family. So she asked him earnestly, so, so, so what, did you get a religious dispensation to keep, you know, to, so the kids could avoid the school vaccines? Uh, and the guy says there in the same breath, he says, oh, no, we get the ones we have to. Right? <laughs> so, so it's clear there's ideology working here. And the right has been very good at at uh, at reading the tea leaves and taking advantage of, of people's understandable anxieties and insecurities in a way that the liberals, you know, can't quite do. And so now I know. So like the liberal response is to try to shame people into doing the right thing, mm-hmm. and to make fun of what what's well, a Bill Maher world, right? Right. Uh, uh, but and yes, it's true that that doesn't work. But then at the same time, right, there, there is a public health crisis and the state has coercive authority and it just seems like this is a, an appropriate occasion to impose coercive authority. But the catch-22 is that neo-fascist right or crypto or deglo-fascist or whatever, right, has been so adept at mobilizing what seems to be like a libertarian, don't tread on me, of kind of sensibility to uh, oppose any uh, assertion of government authority. So where does that leave us, right? I mean, um, right there, not serious, right? Uh, but uh, well, but the government, uh, the government authority that they're opposed to is the government that the liberals are running. So we're in a tough spot, um, and you know, I don't see uh, right between Mansion and Cinema, right on the one side who seem to be and i you know i've I, I i've i've also begun to wonder uh, about the extent to which you know biden pelosi and and schumer have been part of the game from right. the very beginning at least in a sense that that they've always known i don't know about biden but i know that schumer and pelosi have have known since at least the summer uh what uh, you know the monkey wrenches that Mansion and and Cinema uh, have have been planning, you know, to toss into the process to keep anything seriously uh, redistributive from from happening. And the question is whether Pelosi and 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 Schumer and the people around Biden just hope that they played it out, you know, all the way that something would change, or if they just thought, or if they were just trying to diddle us right all the way along. Don't, really don't, you, don't you think it's the latter? I mean, I mean that's uh, yeah. the that's the well, pattern of the, the the party for ages, isn't it? Oh well, no, totally. Yeah, I mean, like you'd like to think that that they learned something, you know, from January sixth, that they learned something from um, um, from Brian Dees and BlackRock, and it's kind of funny now that asset managers are like the left wing of the Democratic Party at this point, or and certainly the left wing of the Biden administration. And things come to a funny pass when that's what you got to put your hope in. But you know what? That's what you got to put your hope in. So, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I wouldn't have any difficulty believing that this has been the same old bullshit over and over again. Because um, that's basically what they told us in 2020, right? That that Sanders 
wasn't uh, electable because he believed in something, right? Uh, Rabbi said something. Uh, and the way that they mobilized, right, the entire apparatus, and I know people have gotten in my case for saying this, but it just seemed to me to show that they were more frightened of the left than they were of Trump. And what people would say to me is, well, but they really believe that. I said, well, yeah, yeah, they really believe it. Uh, uh, but uh, they really believe that Bernie wasn't electable because that's what they need to believe. Right. Right. For the commitments that right. they made. Right. So it doesn't matter whether they're sincere or not. I mean, because it all comes out in the same place. And that's what I would say to the question that I've been puzzling over in my head, too. But, but you know, like to what extent have they been diddling us all along or to what extent have they been hopeful you know, for something? The answer doesn't really matter because we get to, to the same place in the same way. Um, so it's obviously there, there were polls last week. There were a couple of stories in Forbes we saw, I think, in the last couple of days that right now Democrats are at the lowest point they've been right. at uh, since 1981, uh, you know, at the stage of the process. Do you attribute it at all to to their failure to do something you, you you categorize it as redistributive or to address actually sort of real uh, economic concerns in the population. With the what what's the primary driver yeah. for you? That? Well, yeah. Uh, well, I'll say a couple of things. The first thing is that I'm not really that concerned about where they are now because that can all change uh, in in a week. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so I mean that's not so much the issue. One thing that did not make sense to me. Uh, through this process, although I guess I could understand it, right? But from the beginning, right, I mean, they were pushing how, how much money they were going to spend, not what they were going to spend it on. And, right. and, and I think that that's partly something as naive, which my dad, but I'm incorrectly, but would always say it's just French for stupid, uh, about um, their, their approach to this, because their reflex, right, is to try to win the editorial board of the New York Times. Mm -hmm. right? So you win the editorial board of the New York Times by saying, hey, we're proposing the biggest social spending package since FDR. And that's what you hype, right? It's like, all right, um, um, when you keep doing that over and over again, but don't really talk about what the components are. So that didn't help, certainly. Uh, and especially once they, you know, Cut the three and a half trillion to one point seven five trillion, or, or, or to whatever it is now, and we'll see just how little actually comes out of the Senate vote or comes out after the Senate vote. Um, so I think that's one 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 problem, and I think one of the reasons for that problem is, well, a couple of reasons is on one level it's a dependence on political consultants and that inside the beltway you know, discourse. And they depend on political consultants because they've they've found political consultants to be, or they found the services and the game that political consultants sell to be appealing, because as the consultants point out, like this is a better, more efficient, cheaper, less potentially disruptive alternative to mobilizing a base, right? Right. Um, this has been the case. And, and almost like the Whigs in the 1840s and 1850s, like they don't want to. Uh, that's a scary comparison. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know. Well, and look, I mean, there used to be a time uh, not all that long ago when I kind of hoped for the moment of the Whig, Whig, Whig meltdown, thinking something good would come out of it. 
Now, uh, well, but the other side is so prepared. Uh, the wig, whatever meltdown will be the end of us or would be the end of us, basically. But I think that they're torn, right? I mean, they're torn. Uh, that, I mean, they've got a Wall Street constituency and they've got the rest of us. And unlike the Republicans who've been able to, and like this isn't so much because the Republicans are clever, it might be just the opposite. But, but, but like they've been able to put together a, a winning electoral coalition that submerges um, uh, you know, the material contradictions in their base, right? So, so like going back to Reagan, right? I mean, the anomaly seemed to be that Cokehead, Silicon Valley hedge fund operators, right, would would vote for full voting rights for every zygote and like all the rest of the stuff, right, that that, that the social conservatives wanted. Uh, stuff that they couldn't give uh, unless it was shit about. And then by contrast, or on the other side of the coin, 1996, when Pat Buchanan was about to make his his move right, to bust into prime time, Falwell and Pat Robinson and the Holy Roller Right, which were the cornerstone to his base, bailed on him. And they, at their, you know, summer jamboree or whatever, uh, you know, determined that what Jesus wanted most of all was cutting capital gains taxes and and and, and uh, combating inflation. And, and like this is how co- or how how a political alliance actually works, right? It's that I vote for what you want, right? Right? Even if I don't give a shit about it for me personally, because I understand fundamentally that fighting for what you want is a necessary condition for being able to get what I want. That's that's what the Democrats don't really have. One reason they don't have it is that, for historical reasons, uh, a big chunk uh, of the electoral base of the Democratic Party are people who are concerned with material questions, from, you know, from the standpoint of the working class, basically. Right? Mm-hmm. The DLC was founded since the Democratic uh, Leadership Council was founded in 1985. But like they've been telling the rest of us, don't worry, we'll take care of you, but, but we've got to take care of Wall Street first. And it will come back for you. Well, it's just run out, basically. So I think that we are. Uh, I've been describing it of of late as like a T intersection, partly because I walk past one on my daily walk. Uh, but uh, but we're at a point where um, you know the neoliberal consensus uh, is no longer able to uh, you know, deliver enough to enough of a, a share of the population to to maintain its um, stability as a democratic or as a nominally I mean, democratic order, so, so only two ways to go, right, um, at that T intersection. One is a sharp turn toward authoritarianism, and the other is a turn in the direction of, you know, something that, that's, that, that, that shares a sensibility with the social democratic politics, right, or, 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 or at a minimum, a politics that's anchored on concrete expressions of what a government and the public good would look like. This is the time for me to make my first plug for our podcast. Actually, I might make more, yes. more than one. But the Debs Jones Douglas. You're, you're allowed four, I think. Yes. Oh, good. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Yeah. Well, the Debs Jones Douglas Institute is kicking off, and I know this, this is the first place that I announced it was coming. Actually, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it is a um, is uh, probably within a week or so going to kick off our podcast called Class Class Matters. Mm-hmm. And the tag question is, you know, what would the, you know, this is the place we discuss 
what the country would look like if, if we're governed by and for the working class. Uh, and our first um, official um, episode, it, we just taped it Monday. It's going to be cleaned up and out ne probably next week. Um, but like this is, but this is the other direction, right? Like we need to have a politics that starts out from that, and not some you know, abstract shit like they talk about on the West Wing, like government and public good, but concrete in instantiation. So stuff like postal banking. Right. Right. Uh, right? That's a big Bernie idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, access to healthcare, education, uh, housing, we're without crazy constraint by ability to pay, right? Right. Uh, you know, access to social goods as a right, basically. And, and uh, you know, wages, jobs, right? right? Right. That stuff, the stuff that people are actually concerned about well, when they get up in the morning and when they go to bed at night. And I know, like, so this is like one little intervention that's like trying to drain the ocean with a teacup and a leaky teacup and a leaky demotask cup. Even. But like, we've got to try to uh, uh, start to build uh, an alternative basis for politics. And I'll say one more thing about, well, but the current moment um, that uh, uh, you guys may may know, I've never been like a huge, um, Enthusiast for you know, the idea of you know, building a movement through you know, through electing people, uh, but that said, I will say, and there's a big exception for Bernie. We talk about that. Maybe, maybe not. There's no need. Uh, but watching the last couple of months, like I've been really Im impressed with the Congressional uh, Progressive Caucus, right? The House Caucus. Uh, they're savvy. Um, they know how to bargain. What uh, I think they were, but uh, I think people like Jayapal and Kana were were directly, I mean, responsible for turning uh, around the narrative, uh, at least on C CNN, where like the default was to say, well, well, you know, when are these progressives going to realize that they got to compromise? And they were successful in like getting across to those people. That look, it's not a matter of passing something to say you passed something because you know once again you know we're not trying to win the editorial board of the New York Times, um, but but whatever gets passed has to connect with the real concerns uh, of of actual people out there and 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 they have to be able to see what gets passed as something that makes makes their lives better. That was great, and they work the insider outsider thing or they work the insider thing right as well as it could be worked but then we get to a point where um it's clear that um you know the um condensation of large corporate interests you know within the democratic party right in in in, in a congress uh, it was set to block anything right and that's the moment when when a body like the Progressive Caucus should have been able to appeal to their constituents you know, from out in the country, uh, you know, prosaic. So I just think about a half million people on the 14th Street Bridge in D.C. But they don't have the capacity to do it because it's not that kind of base because they're an electoral movement, you know, over an electoral base. And mm -hmm. they don't have the kind of thick connections uh, to um, a grassroots base out there that can I mean, be mobilized on a national basis, which is another way to get to this point that we've got to have both, but right? we can't just have 
but there are no short uh, there are no shortcuts to building the kind of popular movement that we need and have to have can't can't do without it, right um mm-hmm. you know, push with the shift in terms of debate and i know you know people think well but we don't have time right to you know the fastest are at the gate and guess what this time they actually are right uh but, but there is a wolf at the door but my response is always well one of the reasons the wolf is at the door now is that we haven't been doing this kind of deep organizing for 40 years so there hasn't been a basis to push back so you got to be able to do both things at the same time and and i hope that you know we'll be in a position where we aren't trying uh, you know what uh, you know, to form like little uh, i mean guerrilla bands in the wilds of new hampshire right? uh, but that's kind of where i think things are at this point sure and to hear the rest of the interview please go to usefulidiots.substack.com Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. That was great, as usual. It was great. The Rittenhouse case is uncomfortable to talk about uh, for, mm-hmm. for me. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I love it. It's like, I love it every read. He's like maybe my favorite guest that we've had. I think he's like funny. And yeah, very funny. Very Charming. thoughtful. Smart. Thinks for himself. Not predictable. Right. Well, guys, by the time you've seen this, you will have had your Thanksgiving. So hopefully um, you had a good one. And um All right, have a good uh, holiday, everybody. Yeah, you too. All right. See you next week. Hello, thank you so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For full episodes and extended interviews, please subscribe at usefulidiots.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash usefulidiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at usefulidiotpod and use the hashtag usefulidiotspod. Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday Morning Show, where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows, so you don't have to watch them. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.